I want to take as my text this morning that reading from the 8th chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 8, and I'm expanding it just one verse, verses 5 through 11. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1122, Romans chapter 8, and beginning at verse 5, which I'd like us to read again. Romans chapter 8, and beginning at verse 5, verses 5 through 11. The apostle writing to the believers at Rome, in the middle of the first century, he wrote, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the flesh is death. But to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For those, for it does not submit to the law of God. Indeed, it cannot. Indeed, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This morning I want to talk about life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. Life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. Indeed, this is the contrast that Paul is making in our text, namely the, the difference between what it means to live life with the flesh as our central regulating principle and what it's like when the Holy Spirit is at our center at the center of all that we are and the center of all that we do. Now simply put, the life of the flesh is the default setting of all those whom God leaves to themselves. It's the default setting of all those whom God just leaves to themselves. Indeed, uh, in the letters of the Apostle Paul, the, the life, life in the flesh, as he puts it, is a description of the life of the unredeemed. That is the life of those who are spiritually fallen. They're, they're, they possess humanity, but it's corrupted. It's fallen. It's untouched by God in a spiritual rebirth kind of way. Sometimes referred to as the unredeemed. About which I know something about personally because I remember this way of life very distinctly, and the dynamics of it. In fact, one of the things that was interesting to me as a young person um, coming to know Christ uh, at a meeting where I was not seeking Him. In fact, I didn't want anything really to do with God, and in nobody thinking, nobody knowing that I had gone to that meeting would have ever imagined that I would come out differently than I had gone in, gone in. but that was the case. And what was one of the most interesting things to me is I read the scriptures, which was a book to me that made no sense previously. But after this experience, all of a sudden, it, was, it, it, it shouted at me. 
was its description of what I experienced before I knew people experienced that. <laughs> and so when I read a passage like this, I go, uh-huh. Yep, that's just the way it is. But he describes here people in the flesh. People living in a fallen state of humanity, untouched, unredeemed, those who don't want God, and those who God leaves to themselves. And in our text, Paul says that those who are in the flesh, as he described it, focus their mind on the things of the flesh, which he characterizes as a condition of spiritual death. In fact, notice again the first part of verse 5 and the first part of verse 6. The first part of verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. In the beginning of verse 6, and to set the mind on the flesh is death. And so Paul says that to those who are according to the flesh set their minds on on the things of the flesh, that's their focus. And he says, and to set one's mind on the things of the flesh is death. It's separation from God, alienation from God. In fact, the Greek word for death literally means separation. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Indeed, Paul says that the mind that's focused on the things of the flesh is a mind that's set in opposition to God. In fact, notice again verses 7 and 8. In verse 7, for the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's laws, which is an expression of God's will for us. Indeed, he says, it cannot, which is an expression of ability. Verse 8, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so Paul says that uh, the mind that's focused on the things of the flesh is a mind that's hostile to God. It may not seem hostile, you know, when you show up to Christmas and Easter, you know, that sort of thing. But when you start pressing and start pressing and you start inviting and, and so forth, uh, it comes out that, yeah, thanks a lot, but I think I'll pass. Or worse, if you keep pressing. <laughs> Indeed, Paul says that the mind that's focused on the things of the flesh is a mind that refuses to submit itself to God. And more than that, he says, that the mind that's focused on the flesh is a mind that cannot submit to God. In short, it is a mind that's enslaved to sin. Now, where did Paul get all of this? Where these, these are the sorts of things that Jesus himself talked about. In fact, in, in John chapter 8 and verse 34, after Jesus said, If you abide in my words, you're truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Two verses later, he says, And everyone who sins is a slave to it. It dominates and enslaves and keeps one in bondage. Or in John chapter 6 and verse 63, Jesus said, The Spirit gives life, but the flesh accounts for nothing. In fact, you can do religion in the flesh, but you can't please God in the fallen flesh. 
Jesus said in that same chapter 6, he said, no one can come to me. What an extraordinary thing for him to say. In fact, in chapter 10, he tells this one group who just won't listen, won't, they're pressurizing him. In fact, they're making arrangements to get rid of him. And he said, you don't listen to me because you're not my sheep. <laughs> my sheep hear my voice. And when I call, they answer. And they won't follow just anyone because they belong to me. But you don't belong to me. And that's why you don't listen. And so Jesus here says, and no one can come to me unless the Father does something first and draws them. And so Paul says that the mind that's focused on the things of the flesh is a mind that cannot submit itself to God. It is a mind enslaved by sin and lacks even the desire to submit to God. Indeed, in response to every invitation to repent and be reconciled to God, the mind that's set on the things of the flesh happily and stubbornly refuses to do so. I know that's true, <laughs> and maybe you do too. And so Paul concludes in verse 8 that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so life in the flesh is the default setting of all those whom God leaves to themselves. In stark contrast to this is life in the spirit. It's quite a different thing indeed. Indeed, life in the Spirit, according to the Paul, is a life that's lived by those in whom the Spirit of God dwells. Notice again, the first part of verse 9. He's speaking to these believers at Rome, and this is a gracious spiritual assumption on his part relative to them. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, now, in the letters of the Apostle Paul, those who are in the Spirit are those in whom the Spirit in their lives is leader and guide. Indeed, in stark contrast to those who are in the flesh, those who are in the Spirit are true children of God who happily submit to God and willingly follow the Spirit's lead. In fact, they're often praying that, Lord, lead me, guide me. Lord, what do you want me to do? I want to do what you want me to do, Lord. When we were talking about David last week, and both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, he's described as a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart? To be a person after God's own heart is a person who wants nothing but what God wants. And this is indicative of a person in whom the Spirit of God dwells and is leading and guiding and inspiring. And it's a wonderful thing. In fact, in this, in this same 8th chapter, if you'll notice, verses 12 through 14, notice what he says. And so then, brothers, brothers and sisters, as the case may be, we're, not, we're, we're debtors not to the flesh. We don't have to live under the influence of the flesh to live according to the flesh, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. 
what's true of the children of God? They're led by the Spirit. And so the life, life in the Spirit is, is, is life lived by those in whom the Spirit of God dwells. And the presence of the indwelling Spirit and the fruit that the Spirit produces in a person is a defining mark of a true believer. Let this again, verse 9. And you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And it continues, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so Paul says that those who are in the Spirit have the Spirit living within them. And the focus of their mind is the things of the Spirit, which he says affects a condition of life and peace in their lives. In fact, notice the second part of verse 5 and the second part of verse 6, where he's drawing in both verses this, contrary, this, this contrast between the, the, the flesh and the Spirit. The second part of verse 5, those who live according to the flesh, excuse me, the, the, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Second half of verse 6, and, and to set one's mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I find that in my life, my problem is not God. <laughs> my problem is me. Maybe you've noticed that. In fact, if you've noticed that, that's a good sign. That, because that's, what this, that's the conclusion that the Spirit will bring you to. It's not God's problem. It's yours. And my problem is, is that I'm separating. I'm going on my own. I'm saying, hey, you know what? I think I'll be God today, Lord. I'll handle it, you know. But he's always God, and he always needs to be God because I'm always the creature. I'm always the redeemed. But Paul says that those who are in the Spirit, they focus their minds on the things of the Spirit, which is a condition he describes as a condition of life and peace. And so Paul says that those who are of the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, and to set one's mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Amy Carmichael, the famous Irish missionary in India, she said this, she said, to will what God wills brings peace. Which is somewhat uh, related, I think, maybe to a man after God's own heart, a woman after... To will what God wills, to want what God wants, brings peace. In fact, uh, it's the absence of peace, it's an anxiety perhaps, uh, which often is an indicator that I've gone off the path and that I need to stop and take a look at my surroundings and see if I'm still on the narrow road that leads to life. And Paul says that those who are in the Spirit, the life of the Spirit for them is both experienced now and it is an experience to be experienced later, which is interesting. In fact, this text, I suppose, is here because we're coming up on Easter. But notice verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, notice it's called the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit that the Father sends, and so on. The Holy Spirit has various different names. 
and titles. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body, your physical body, is dead or dying because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised the dead, Him, that's the Father, the Spirit of the Father who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And so Paul says that even for those in whom Christ dwells, death and sin is a problem. That the body is dead because of sin. In fact, in the sixth chapter of Romans, Paul says, and we're familiar with this phrase, this expression, that the wages of sin is death. I turned 50, well, 10 years ago. That's easy to figure out. What, I had a birthday on Friday, Thursday. Yeah. 10 years ago, when I turned 50, all of a sudden I started knowing like, well, what's that, what's that about? And I started looking at my hands and, oh, I, oh, I haven't looked at my hands in a while. I got more age spots than I remember the last time I looked. And I'm dying. And so are you. And that's because of sin. So it says in the scriptures. In fact, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die, God said. And Satan said, <laughs> you won't die. And we've been dying ever since. <laughs> And so I, I'm, I'm dying, and unless the Lord returns, you'll be doing my memorial service. And if you go before me, I'll be doing yours. And so the body is dead because of sin, but, verse 10, for those who, in whom Christ dwells, the Spirit is alive. <laughs> my body may be dying, but the Spirit is alive. In me, He says, because of righteousness, which is an interesting expression. That is to say, because we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ and, 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 and been made righteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Because we've been made righteous as a gift through faith. And have been given a right standing before God, the Spirit is life in us. And Paul says that if we are indwelt by that Spirit, the Spirit of the Father who raised Christ from the dead, the Father who raised Christ from the dead will also raise us from the dead by His Spirit who now is indwelling us. And so that's why Paul asks the rhetorical question in another place, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? And so I wonder, what will it be for you? Life in the flesh? Or life in the spirit? And yet I guess it, it all depends, doesn't it? Indeed, given all that uh, Paul says here, it isn't any wonder that Jesus, you remember, in the third chapter of John, and we covered it a few weeks back, what he said to Nicodemus when he, he said 
to Nicodemus that, Nicodemus, if you would see the kingdom of God, you must be born from above. It's, an, it's not enough, Nicodemus, that you have an interest in, in scriptural things or that, that you hold a seat on the Sanhedrin and that you're a respected leader of the religious establishment. Nicodemus, if you would see the kingdom of God, you must be born from above. Because freedom from the bondage of the flesh, even for a religious man, and the living of a new life and the power of the Spirit all begins with the sovereign act of divine grace, as we read in the Scriptures from cover to cover. In fact, I close with words from the prologue of John, words that I think perhaps you're familiar with. John chapter 1 and beginning at verse 11, and he, Jesus, came to his own, but his own people didn't receive him, which is just extraordinary. Everybody wants Jesus, right? Well, maybe the one that they create in their heads. I'm not so sure about the real one. Indeed, when God comes in human flesh and comes to man, man says, no, nah, you're not what we're looking for. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Nicodemus, if you would see the kingdom of God, you must be born from above. Life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. Let us pray. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. even as you've done so many times and as you must do. As Paul says in another place to the believers in Ephesus, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, who's rich in mercy, by grace you've been saved, has have made you alive. <laughs> He's made you alive in Christ Jesus. Make us alive, Lord. Indeed, as Jesus came to the tomb, Lord, he prayed and he said, give Lazarus life. And then after they moved the stone, then he prayed to you so that others could hear. And you said, he said to you, Lord, thank you for hearing me. What did he say to you, Lord? He said, give Lazarus life. And so there he was, alive. <laughs> so he could hear the master say, and come out. And we obey and can obey when you've made us alive so that we can hear you and we can respond. And all the praise and honor and glory it goes to you and all the mystery of it. Make that true for each one of us here in your mercy and in your grace. Make us alive, Lord, so that we can do your bidding and obey you with pleasure 
even as Cramner said, because to serve you is perfect freedom. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.